0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets.
1: And welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vest with Dr. Jeff. Here for you, here for your pets. Also joining me, Instagram Live. Just the best way to, oh, a question already. I love it. Katie Who, thank you so much. Hopefully, we're going to have a lot more questions coming in. But I always have something to talk about. Ne- I've never had a loss of something to talk about. Anyway, so if you want to get a hold of me, very easy. 877-385-8882. Once again, eight seven seven three eight five eight 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 two. 385 Better yet, you can join us here live on Pet Life Radio on the video with your pet. Just go to PetLifeRadio.com. You can have your pet with you. Log on to uh, shows. Go on to shows. Ask the best Dr. Jeff. There's a link left for you there by our producer, Mark. And you can actually come on and and join us here on Instagram Live. Easier. Just be here. You're here already. And uh, if you have your pets with you, even now, I can't. One thing I can't do with Instagram is if I share the screen, it kind of ruins things a little bit. So we are not going to do that. But you can always ask. You can get a hold of me anytime. You know that already. Just call me, send me a message, uh, instant message on Instagram. Uh, you can reach me, Dr. Jeff at uh, petliferadio.com. You can reach me at Dr. Jeff at drjeff.com. I always hear people say, well, when, when they found me after I, I left my old practice, after I sold it, and people say, I couldn't find you. I, I, I couldn't find me. I'm hard not to find. So, uh, anyway, here I am. So let's get uh, right into it with some questions here on Pet Life Radio. Ask away uh, if you can ask. We're literally live right now, and Mark will send them to me. In the meantime, I have one from New York Yankee. Good morning. Recommended amount of inches for a groomer to cut nails safely for a small, medium, large dog, a Jack Russell Terrier. Here's the problem with nails. There is something called the quick. The quick has the nerve and the blood supply. And for light nails, it's easy because you can kind of see through it. The pink area, you want to avoid the pink area. That's where it is. Black nails are a little more difficult. So what you do is... If you're lucky, you always look for at least one pink nail in the group and kind of see how much you could cut. And if you're in question, you always cut a little less. Better to cut less and do it more often than cut more and make them bleed. Because once you hit that nerve and that blood supply, well, the blood supply is your problem. The nerve is the dog's problem. And uh, they're not going to like you going to have the nails again. So the idea is to just make it fun. I always tell people that for when it comes to nails, when they're little, as soon as you get them, start messing with their toenails. Don't cut them. Just mess with them. Touch them. Say, oh, my God, you're so good. You're such a good boy. Such a good girl. And give a little treat. So that way they get used to every time you go near their nails, they're going to get a treat how life life is planned. That's fantastic. Now, what you do is start trimming, just a little bit. And you just go a little bit more and a little bit more until you know how much you're going to have to trim. What is the norm for your dog? Now, sometimes some dogs because of going too long without having nails trimmed, they would get what they call it it's an an extension of the quick and they're now you're going to have to have them cut probably professionally, maybe even with elucidation. And you want it, which we call it, cutting the nails back, meaning we're going to reposition that quick farther back, so it's a little bit easier for you to cut in the future. Uh, we see this a lot with Dobermans, for example. They just if they they extend so quickly, and of course, the Dobie's nails are usually black, and sometimes it's a, a difficult disaster. So the norm is whatever the quick is, the farther away you stay from it the less pain, the no pain, really, they're going to have, and you can make it actually a positive experience for the dog. If you see that when you're cutting and you don't think you're cutting that much and it still bleeds, then you want to take them in and have the nails clipped back. We use a little, some sort of agent. It's called a styptic powder or cautery, something that will cauterize, stop the bleeding, and then you can actually start all over again. So, um, yes. So when the groomer has cut too much a couple of times, yes, it's going to bleed. And that's what happens. So sometimes, again, we need to train the nails back, cut them back and almost start from scratch, but have a much shorter quick. Um, let's see. I passed another good question here. Going back to the beginning. Thank you very much. Best to source the public before vaccinations are completed. Ah, that's a great question. So, you know, I think some veterinarians are like too cautious. Ideal socialization, what this means is when you're getting your dog to be okay with other dogs, and of course, with people, there's usually no shortage of people around a house when you have a new puppy, but there there has to be, unless you have already coming into a house with a number of dogs. Every time I introduce a dog into my home with already five dogs and five cats, that is instant socialization. It happens right away. But ideal socialization between eight and 18 weeks of age during development. Now, if you are overly cautious and you want to wait until the vaccine series is completed, which is 16 weeks of age, that gives you only two weeks to socialize. That's not good enough. So here's what I recommend to my patients, my clients, and you can, you know, obviously wherever you want to be in between. Think of 18, 18 eight to, eight to 18 weeks. So eight weeks you're starting vaccines, ideally. So it's too early. So what I do is early on between the first and second set of shots, only if they're people that you know very well, like yourselves or a family member that is, is insane and crazy about their pet as you are with your new pet, your new puppy, and they can actually get together. That's okay. But I don't want your new puppy yet outside anywhere but your backyard. Now, 12 weeks comes along, you get the second shot. About four to five days after that, I recommend it's okay with caution Walking your dog like on the street, but on your block. I don't want them going in the whole neighborhood. Certainly no place public. So and then of course, watch for poop. And, uh, you know, if the dog starts sniffing or you see someone didn't clean them off the other dog, then you want to kind of have them away. But again, you want to get together now, have a, a like a you know, like a friend's visit, you know, kind of thing. That's important. Just to socialize the pup. Again, dogs that you know, have fun and just go to their house and visit with your pup. They can come to you and, and to visit with your pup at your home. But the goal is socializing and always make it a fun, positive experience. If you ever know the dog, a friend that's got an aggressive dog, do not, do not bring that dog near your dog because you don't want to, to blow it as far as your dog trusting other dogs it's got to be another dog that has good personality very friendly wants to play then that's great that's called like, like a play date then after the final shot 16 weeks again 4 to 5 days later you know you got to give it a chance for the vaccine to work then you can go to public places and you know for here in LA the 3rd street promenade the grove beverly drive rodeo drive take your dog out and about and kind of let it mingle if you see other dogs and always make it fun and I always ask of course if a dog is approaching ask is your dog friendly sometimes, even though they say yes, it may not be friendly, but you don't know that until you do it. But again, the whole idea is to make the experience a fun, enjoyable experience for your dog. All right. 13-year-old keeps licking like crazy, her paws in the stomach. Sonia. So 13-year-old poodle, this is what's interesting. Usually, when a dog goes after their paws a lot, I always think of potential food allergy. They also rub their faces. They scratch at their ears. But a 13-year-old, you know, one would think, unless you recently changed food to something completely different than they've ever had before. You don't expect for the first time ever a dog 13 to be all of a sudden going after a paw. So I would also look at the feet, make sure they're clean. Maybe it does happened happen more after a walk. You know, Now we are, our gardeners are putting fertilizer down. So if they're you know, in the neighborhood, they may be picking up some kind of grass and things like that. So it's a possibility that it's more than just potential food allergy, but I would certainly always consider food allergy as a a potential problem. So look at what the dog is eating. Is there anything differently that the dog is being fed that she may not have had before? Even something like a treat or something around the house. Again, the the big antigens that we usually see, chicken, beef, corn, and wheat, but a dog can be allergic to anything. So um, now the stomach, this is what leads me to believe it might be something external. Stomach is usually not an area where dogs with food allergy will go after, but it is an area where they will get from pollens. And here we are, we're spring, as what, March 21st, two days ago, three days ago, uh, official spring started. So we are going to see pollens. And one of the things with atopy called atopic dermatitis is where they actually start to scratch. And uh, in the groin area on the belly is one area that we typically see dogs with allergy. So that's a possibility as well. If it persists, you want to see your doc. But also one thing, if the scratching is leading to irritation in the skin and maybe scabs and sores, then we worry about secondary infection as well, which also is itchy. So that's why when animals are being treated for allergy, if they have secondary infection, you need to treat that as well, or else they're going to continue to scratch and you're going to think, oh God, that allergy medicine's not working. No, it is working fine, but you have to also take care of the, the secondary skin infection. So that's why typically we're treating these dogs with antibiotics as well as either the Apple or the Cytopoint Caddy, whatever. So um, anyway, keep that in mind. All right. Uh, heartworm meds still needed for a 15 year old dog who doesn't go outside the house. Well, you know, mosquitoes can be inside your house. You know, it depends also where you live. If you're in a heartworm endemic area like the South or the Northeast, spring and summer, then 100% I would still recommend it because, you know, many. Those places, you're going to see mosquito in your house, open door, screens only do so much when the door is open or you open the window all the way without a screen, it's possible to still get a mosquito in the house. Now, as far as places like LA, where we are just now seeing some mosquitoes that are have adapted to our climate and we are starting to see them and they are year round, I would base it on how many mosquitoes are you seeing? Now, if he doesn't go outside the house at all, if the dog is like trained- to take care of business inside the house on a wee-wee pad, then you you can argue that, and you don't see mosquitoes, you're in a high rise and there's really no access to outdoors because when you open your door, you're in a hallway, you're not outside, then you probably can get away without prevention. I would just do a heartworm test first just to make sure all is good. And if so, you probably are going to be okay. I'm just going through some of my my comments, a lot of waving. How can you see if your dog's trachea is an issue? X-ray ultrasound, what can you give them? So there are a number of of problems we see with trachea, anything ranging from a tracheitis, which is usually an infection, infectious tracheobronchitis, aka kennel cough. I don't like to use that term anymore because, you know, with our lifestyles, you know, dogs are being taken outside all the time. For example, I call it live in L.A. cough. Go to the dog park cough. Go to the Grove cough. Go to the you know Third Street Promenade cough. Go to the vet cough. Go to the groomer cough. I mean, it's everywhere. So don't think. Well, I I hear people say, "Well, I I don't board my dog." Oh, I don't board, but but it goes to the dog park three times a week. I mean, you got to you know be aware that it can be everywhere. Now, there's also small breeds get a few other things. There's something called a, a redundant dorsal tracheal membrane. There's also tracheal stenosis. There's also tracheal collapse. So. There are many, many things that can happen to dog's tracheas, which give them that, that, that cough. It sounds like they're trying to cough up a hairball, or they got something stuck in their throat. That is a classic, but otherwise, they're fine. And it's usually worse early morning, late night, and excitement. So if your dog is that, it's one of those tracheal issues. So x-ray, I think better than ultrasound. Uh, when it comes to that with a redundant dorsal tracheal membrane you can see on x-ray now with tracheal stenosis you can see but tracheal collapse is different because tracheal it's not it's it's not always there it happens sometimes and sometimes when it starts collapsing and they cough harder you get so you'd have to you have to catch it right when it's happening. So you could take an x-ray at you know right at, at 10 o'clock a m and 10 oh seven you can repaint the x ray and you'll see the collapse. So it's more difficult to find scoping uh, but you mostly have to go to an internist or someone who has a, a scope, that could give you a lot more information because then you can see with each breath what is going on with that trachea. So as far as giving them, oh boy, it's a tough one. I would just at least do a cough suppressant. If you th- suspect a tracheobronchitis, an antibiotic, because it's infection, if it's viral, like the new influenza, not much you can do other than the tincture of time. But if it's a bacterial, like Bordetella, which is AKA kennel cough, and all those other names I just mentioned, then doxycycline is good. Clavamox is good. Um, I used to use the clavamox, which is the Amoxiclav. And we're seeing more and more of the young docs are now using Doxy. I've switched over to Doxy as my prime. Uh, and then maybe if we, if it didn't work well, then we'll go to the clavamox after that. But the cough suppressants are great. Now, if it's dry, hacky, nonproductive, the best cough suppressant I recommend for my uh, clients and my patients is hycodan or Tussigon. Very effective. It's a narcotic. It zonks them out a little bit, but it's very effective as an antitussive. Now, if you have a moist cough, then you want to use something like Guaifenesin or Guaifenesin, however you want to pronounce it. And that is the active ingredient in most over-the-counter cough medicines. Um, if you're going to use uh, something over-the-counter I like the DMs, whether it's cough syrup DM, Robitussin DM, Vicks formula 44D, for, for, that's dextromethorphan. That is a non-narcotic, mild cough suppressant. So with these guys, you want to have an expectorant. That's the guy that will help loosen up the phlegm, cough things up. But at night and stuff, you kind of want to maybe get some sleep. Don't want to use a strong suppressant like hiking the if the cough is productive. Productive means it's moist, coughing up phlegm, mucus, you don't want to suppress that cough. That's a good cough. That's the cough that's getting rid of a lot of that crud in the in the respiratory tree. So for that, I like using something a little more mild, like the uh, dextromethorphan. Hope that answered your question. Harper meds still good for dogs? Okay, we talked about that. Face time with your dogs while you're away on a trip, or is that confusing? Ah, that's a really good question. Think it's confusing? You know, it'll be interesting. That's a good study. Is someone should do that with dogs that have separation anxiety and see if. The separation anxiety worsens after you do a FaceTime call with your dogs. I do not have an answer for that one, but it would be really, as I said, that would be a real cool study. So um, something to think about. All right. While you're thinking about that study, and also when you have, obviously, if you're FaceTiming, someone is here taking care of your dogs. So there is a sitter or a friend that you can actually converse with. Why don't you find out how the dogs behave after the call? And now, interesting, Eloise just comes back, and, you know, Vicky, great dog trainer. Uh, it says, I use some training via camera, so I think it's great. So there you go. So maybe the dogs do respond pretty well. They certainly respond to your voice, 100%. And when they see you, I mean, I, I tell the story. Well, let's do our quick break. When we come back, I'll tell a story that's happened to me a number of times over the years. So I know, I know they respond to your voice. we we'll be right back. do go.
0: Help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skecher's famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion. Because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skecher's store, Skecher's.com, select Pet Co locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLiferadio.com.
1: Okay, and we're back live here with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And during the break, we got a good question came in. And um, you know, we talked about it before about using cameras, dogs, how are they gonna respond if they see you on a FaceTime when you're out of town? All right. Are they going to be super sad when you turn off what's going on? So, and I mentioned that how they recognize your voice. You don't even need the camera, but so I've heard this many times years ago. I was doing a national uh, show. I was on every week on ABC's home show. And, um, and I would do a lot of news. I still do, you know, inside edition. I do KTLA and KCBS, but anyway, so I would hear this from clients a lot. And that is they're in the kitchen with their dog. And the TV's on in the den, And all of a sudden the dog gets up and runs runs into the den as if almost hearing a doorbell right the way he ran into the den and the owner would go that's weird what and she goes into the den to see what what did he what was he running in the den for and my segment was on TV and he heard my voice I've heard that since many many a time so it's just crazy they're very smart their sense of hearing I mean their sense of smell we know about but their hearing is pretty darn good too all right is there a home remedy when my dog is limping on his front leg after he's been exercising well yes rest is one thing. But the thing is that it's very important to keep them somewhat quiet. Now, usually if that's happening, there's something going on. It could be arthritis and it's just the exercise is exacerbating the arthritis. That's a very you know strong possibility. So what I would do is talk to your veterinarian. If this is happening regularly, the dog should be on some glucosamine or chondroitin anyway. Maybe think about some laser therapy. But I would also maybe have a, some of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories available using only, not, not all the time, but as an as needed basis, if your dog is really limping. But most importantly, I think there be some diagnostics done first just to see, is there an underlying problem that could be fixed? Or it could be worked with, or maybe, as I said, acupuncture, laser. There's so many things that could be done if it's a recurring soft tissue injury. Sometimes dogs- that might have a little elbow dysplasia or or hip dysplasia or a partially torn cruciate ligament are worse after the exercise and that might be going on. So once you get a diagnosis, you know, it's really a lot of times with these cases, it's important to know what it isn't, just as important to know what it is. So if you know there's nothing really bad, the knee's good, the hip's good, everything's good, then most likely it just could be a little muscle soreness and then, you know, a little rest of warmth, you know, heat after like a hot compress Um, or – and if it's also if it's the same leg all the time – or if it's all legs, then it's definitely soft tissue. If it's the same leg all the time and only one leg, I would really delve a little deeper into what's going on with that leg. The best way to treat yeast problems is dog paws. So, pododermatitis is, is, is a really a common problem. Uh, we see it a lot. See, unfortunately, when it comes to, there are two tissues of the body that have sweat glands. These two tissues look the same as each other, but unlike every other part of the body. Any guesses? What two things look alike, but parts of a dog, but it's the only areas on the whole body that look the way these do. And these are the only two areas that actually sweat with eccrine sweat glands, which means it's moist. So I'll give you a hint. One's the nose. Clearly, right? Nose is a lot often very moist. Okay. So what part of the body looks like? The pads. So pads and nose tissue are the only tissues on a dog that sweat. So therefore, that's why we're seeing sometimes a lot of pododermatitis because you have it's dark. There's often hair in there. It gets moist when they sweat. And that's a perfect environment for yeast. We call it, pod- well, pododermatitis can be bacterial or yeast. So oftentimes we treat with antibiotics, but we're not doing anything for the yeast. So here's what I like. First of all, any kind of ketoconazole rinse. You get like an ear flush rinse, which usually has ketoconazole or fluconazole, and actually rinse the feet off and dry them well. One of my favorite things is called NeoPredF powder. You got to get it through your vet or online. Neo, N-E-O, PredF, P-R-E-D-E-F powder. It's amazing. It's drying agent. It's anti-inflammatory, anti-itch. It's got antibacteria, antifungal. It's everything in one. But because it's a powder and it's a drying agent, it keeps the feet a lot drier. And in cases that are really severe or it's extending to the toenail, I'll use oral medication as well. Uh, Fluconazole, itraconazole, ketoconazole, whatever. There are a number of really good products, but that you have to talk to your veterinarian. Now, when it comes to using medications, antifungal medications for dogs, just like people, it's a long haul. Uh, You got to go minimum a month. I was treating my son's Frenchie with yeast, yeast dermatitis, also common in Frenchies. And um, with two full months of the fluconazole, finally into the third month, that's when he started to respond. And I know if you know anybody with toenail fungus, et cetera, and they put them on Lamisil, that also you're looking at of several months of treatment. So it just takes a little long. All right. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Do I agree with shaving dogs? Good question. Okay, shaving dogs down. Now we're approaching spring. Today's a beautiful day here in LA. Obviously, we know it's going to start getting warmer, and all that snow over the mountains are going to melt. Um, maybe able will take care of some of our drought issues, but I am not a fan of shaving dogs down. Uh, again, dog's coat is like a thermos. What do I mean? If you put ice cold beverage into a thermos, it stays pretty cold. If you put your hot coffee into a thermos, it stays pretty hot. The thermos, what it does, it, it keeps the temperature stable for whatever is in. It's going to stay, keep it that way as long as it can. Now, same thing with the dog's coat. Let me add a healthy dog coat. So you have those Arctic breeds with a thick double coat. That coat's a thermos. That coat is is protecting them. It's an insulator. So it protects them from the heat when it's too hot, but it obviously protects them from the cold when it's too cold. So it keeps their body pretty stable. So I'm not a fan. Now, let's say that coat is sick, is diseased, is matted, there's skin problems. Then, yes, you may have to shave them down. But again, when you shave a dog down, in general, you got to be really careful from the sun. A lot of white-skinned dogs can actually get sunburned and can get sun cancer. So it's not something just haphazardly do. And therefore, even when you do shave them, try not to shave like all the way down like like you're shaving for a surgery because that, that worries me. You just got to be really careful. And if you do have to shave and you have to go really short or some parts of the body, use sunblock during the summer. Absolutely use a kid's 50 sunblock. That'll fine. Now, some dogs very sensitive to light beams and shadows. Shall I my dog to chase or obsess over light beams? Well, you know, first of all, cats are notorious for this. You know, this is always what I say. If you have a cat that's like that and the cat's overweight and you want it to it to lose weight, get one of those little laser light things and play with it for, you know, 15 minutes every, you know, two, three times a day. That'll get them moving. You, you thought your cat couldn't jump. If you have a cat that likes those chasing those light beams, it's great. I was um in the kitchen and I had my watch on. And I just went through an open window. All of a sudden, my dog got up and just ran to this wall. I said, "What are you doing?" And it turns out I was. I said the light was coming in, caught my watch, and it had that quick reflection. It is what it is. If they like to chase and obsess over it, you can if it's bothering you that it's bothering him, or you think it's bothering him. Close your shade, you know, whatever it is, whatever was causing that beam. It's interesting about dogs that are like that, cats that are like that. Once it stops, they stop. It's not, like, and then they play with it while it's there, but they don't go crazy when it's not there. So that's what I would do if it's bugging. Yeah, but it's good, it's good exercise. I worry about my dog not pooping enough. How often is normal? Well, it depends how full of you know what your dog is because so. I would say two to three times a day is is normal. Four times a day could be normal. Six times a day is excessive. Once a day is probably not enough. So it all depends on the dog. If your dog is acting fine and is a -a two-a-day pooper, then that's good. If the dog is is not acting fine or sitting and trying to poop and nothing's coming out, then maybe there's something going on. May need a stool softener. It really depends. What I tell people to do, and more, more so with cats and dogs, is that there is something called obstipation. Uh, where they're actually blocked and you take an x-ray and you see the colon is as big as a horse's colon. And that's a problem. That dog or cat needs an enema, needs to be cleaned out. And then the question is, why did this happen? And then then you have to do some more, some investigation. And as I said, probably start treating with something, adding fiber to the diet. You know, When we add a little bit of fiber, that actually helps stool consistency if there's diarrhea, if there's colitis. Now, if you'll add more fiber, if you overdo it, then you're going to have too soft stool, but that might help with their elimination. So speak to your veterinarian. There's no one norm. I've seen all variations. I know some dogs that are going four times a day, some going twice a day. As I said, you get to one, It's too little six, five, six is probably too much. But if those stools are totally normal and the dog wants to eat and it's fine, then don't worry about it. Just let them poop that often. Back to Eloise came a comment that if the dog is sore uh, after the walks, I assume that's where it's coming from, what that answer is, uh, using heating pads and ice but you have to know what the cause is. If it's just soft tissue, I 100% agree. Do I think running dogs on cement is okay for the pads? Well, it all depends on the dog. And this is why I say when you are, you know, especially more for people that have, a, have more of a difficult winter and they really take some time off of, of outdoor activity, I recommend if you had a dog that was a good runner and you used to be able to run a mile with or more. And now all of a sudden you had a, you know, a lazy winter. Don't go out and start running a mile on the first day the sun comes out. Okay. You don't want to do that. So you want to actually hold the pads, all right? And you want to make sure that they start getting a little calloused. They have to get a little stronger. So start slowly, gradually increasing the walking. Now, if it's a very hot day and your dog usually is on asphalt, black asphalt is really, it gets really hot. So if it's summertime and you're getting 90 degree weather, you got to be really be careful of the asphalt. You do not want to run them on cement or asphalt for long periods. And again, make sure you have plenty of rest and you know, let them have them run on grass is better. Cement is better than asphalt. Asphalt is usually the worst, but understand that it gets pretty hot. And one other thing, a lot of areas that it gets really hot, like South Florida, Louisiana, Texas, Arizona, even though the sun goes down, it's still hot. So you got to be really careful. Those surfaces retain heat for many hours. So you may not want to you know get them again until much later. So just keep that in mind. All right. Lastly, grain-free diet, cats, harmful long-term. We don't know. That really depends on the animal itself. So I am not a fan of grain-free. Not that it's always harmful because we don't know which dogs are going to possibly have this reaction to cardiomyopathy, which ones won't. And it may not be related to the grain-free at all. We don't know. It's just too coincidental. So anyway, I'm not a fan because there's no proof. There's no study that actually said grain is bad for dogs. As a matter of fact, Dogs is a good source of protein. It's a good source of carbohydrate. They need it for energy. I don't know where this all started and why, but whatever it is, people are anthropomorphizing started with gluten. Gluten is not a problem for dogs. Grain is not a problem for dogs. So don't always take your style, your preferences, and apply it to your pets because it's not. they're not the same. And if you are thinking about it, do some homework, talk to your veterinarian, but don't just run. OK, it's, it's it's not a good idea. My dog doesn't like to go on walks. Once she gets past two houses, she pulls me back into my house. Well, maybe that's telling you something. Maybe she doesn't like the neighborhood. Maybe you should move. And no, I'm just kidding. Some dogs are like that. Some dogs use out to take care of their business. And once they take care of their business, they're done. And obviously, much more comfortable at home. So um, if there are other ways you can get the dog to exercise, if dog loves running around in your backyard, that's fine as long as they get the exercise. So it's something that you want to be aware of. But also, there may have been something that frightened your dog at some point, and that's why it doesn't want to go. So tr- maybe try going a different direction. Maybe try getting in the car for a m- longer walk and just going to someplace else and see if that is makes a difference. Is your dog more apt to walk two or three or four blocks? Then there is something around your house that freaked your dog out at some point and dogs have good memories when it comes to stuff like that, especially negative experiences. So you might want to think about that just to try it, just a little test and see if the dog is, you know, does better away from your home. Ah, so back to the, the limping dog. He has zoomies uh, running up and down the stairs and outside his limp is pronounced when he gets up from resting. Okay. Yeah, that is totally normal. Now, when a dog can do all that stuff and then rests and the limp is more pronounced after resting, that is usually arthritis. So my hunch is... You've heard it with people. They warm out of their arthritis, very stiff at first, but then they start moving and it gets all the juices flowing, the blood going, and and the surfaces, the joint surfaces are to are start are gliding again and the pain goes away. So I would, if it's the back legs, I'm thinking hip dysplasia. If you haven't already gotten a diagnosis, get a diagnosis, have x-rays taken, and then go from there. If it is arthritis, that would explain what's going on. Uh, okay. My dog doesn't want to go on walks once she gets past. So, all right, now, yeah, you like the cute kids in the background. It's great for you. But, uh, and yeah, we have three of the three or four of the five grandkids here right now. So that's a problem. It's not a problem. It's great. Anxiety. So, well, let me do this because I know we're, we're running over. Mark, is it okay or I'll keep talking? Okay. So, anxiety. There are a number of reasons. First of all, you try to find out what why is the anxiety? All right. Is it separation anxiety? Is it noises outside? Even when you're home, what is causing the anxiety? I like to try calming agents that are more natural first things with valerian, passion flower, chamomile, California poppy, hops, things like that are all really good. Melatonin, all are are pretty good. And even CBD. So I would shoot for that first, just to see if all my meat is just a little calming. Uh, Next up was the products that are not really meant for calming, but they do a hell of a good job. Benadryl, diphenhydramine. Benadryl, really not just like with people. To give an antihistamine that doesn't cause drowsiness, Is not good because histamine doesn't play a major role in canine allergy. So I usually recommend Benadryl. Why not? Because of the antihistaminic effect, but because the calming effect, the drowsy effect it might have, that might help. Finally, if all that's not working, then we have to graduate to more of the drugs. Now, if it's something that is just occasional and there is a trigger that you know, and you're expecting that trigger, like a car ride or people coming over the house for a party, then things like Alprazolam, Xanax are good, Amitriptyline, Elevil. So uh, you know, some of these are, are fine for things like that, Atarax. But if uh, it's something that is part of the dog's you know, neuroses and it's there all the time and it's part of its personality is to be extremely anxious, again, talk to your veterinarian, but then things like Prozac or Buspar might be the answer. So there's no one solution. It depends on the animal. And even animals that need a drug like a tricyclic tris- 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 antidepressant or an SSRI, these are the ones serotonin reuptake. So these are the things that might help, but dog might do well with one and not with others. So really, it's not an easy answer, but there are many things that you can try. And um, also, as Eloise says, sometimes this is a training thing. And um, if you can work with a trainer, if you haven't, you contact Eloise right there on the screen. This is one of the things she works with. Ah, only when Bella and another dog is out. And so that's, uh, that could be. All right. So anyway, I think we've uh, hit a lot of it. Thank you so much, all of you who joined me. Some new and old. Tell your friends uh, that I'm here every Sunday morning and that would love to have you just sign on. Free advice, love to answer questions, love to help you out. And you can always, always get a hold of me during the week as well. So uh, good. All right. I think that's all we have time for. What can I get my daughter to calm her down during the fireworks? All right. Now, ah, so that's a great question. During the fireworks, then we're dealing with something that's an event that you know is going to happen. So then it's, again, the short answer, that's, you know what? Why don't you come on next week? We're going to talk about that. We're we're far away from fireworks, but for the real good solution, it's going to take several months to do it. So it's a really great question. The Band-Aid is the downers, is the you know the tranquilizer, the acepromazine, Ativan, all those medications that work, that, that you can do, the, all the anxiety meds. Those are the ones that you could do if you need to, but there's a better way to do it. It takes a long time. And it's called desensitization and counterconditioning. Believe it or not, there are ways that when it comes to fireworks, you can get your dog to actually like the fireworks. And that's a great topic for next week. I'm going to put on my notes and we'll talk about that next week. So sign on. Next week, we're going to talk about how to desensitize and counter-condition your dog to the loud sounds like thunder, like lightning, like fireworks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, that'll be a good subject for next week. All right, have a great week, everybody. Stay safe out there uh, here in Southern California. It's a beautiful day. And um, again, during the week, if you have any questions, you can always get a hold of me very easily, either here on Instagram, here on Pet Life Radio, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com, Dr. Jeff at DrJeff.com, Jeff at Airvet.com. If you ever need help in a pinch, uh, you have a, a big concern about your pet. Go on, download Airvet. It's a great app. You'll be talking live to a veterinarian within one to three minutes, and. Also, there's I'm not the only believe me, Pet Life Radio is the number one network out there, and there are great shows all the time 24 7 so you should be if there's anything you want to about if you have cats and you're into cats there's some great shows just for cats there are are so many great and, and a lot of veterinarians out there too so uh, justine lee is an emergency medicine doc she also is, does vet girl online so these are all speakers and hosts on pet life radio so think about doing that too because it's a bundle of information so uh, anyway thanks for joining me here on instagram on pet life radio and um, we will uh, be here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And again, have a great week, everybody. Over now. out. bye
0: Let's Talk Pets. Every week, on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.